0: Good Morning Nancy is a horror movie podcast, so it may not be for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Good morning, Nancy. My name is Gracie. And I'm Abby. And if you're new to the show, welcome. This is season seven, episode one, and we are so excited for you to join us. Gracie and I have been
1: friends since forever, and we love talking about our favorite horror movies together and with you. All while drinking a nice cup of coffee. Today, we'll be discussing the 2005 British adventure horror film, The Descent, it was written and directed by Neil Marshall, and it stars Shauna McDonald, Natalie Mendoza, Alex Reed, Saskia Mulder, Miana Burring, and Nora Jane Noon.
0: Look at all those women. I know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so we're not shy about spoilers, so if you haven't seen this film, we highly suggest that you pause this episode and watch it first. Are you still here? Okay, cool. Then let's get this morning started. So before I continue, I want to say, like, I'm sorry that Abby and I sound like old smokers because <laughs> I I don't know why. I think I just have, like, a weird drip, but, Abby, you're kind of feeling a little sick, aren't you?
1: Oh, yes. We have a tiny child in our house in preschool, and he's bringing home all those germs. So. Isn't that
0: just <laughs> wonderful?
1: <laughs> it's the best.
0: <laughs> oh, no. I can't wait for it. Um, yeah, yeah. So- So many things to look forward to. (laughs) Yes, yes. So let's start with like the behind the scenes production of the film. According to Jeffrey McNabb in his 2005 article for The Guardian entitled Brace Yourself, the British horror film is about to rise from the grave. When writer director Neil Marshall's 2002 werewolf film Dog Soldiers was a moderate success, the director received numerous requests to direct other horror films. Marshall was worried about being typecast as a horror film director, although he eventually agreed to make The Descent, which, like, I guess I understand, but I see no shame in being a horror film director, honestly. Yeah, what the heck? Yeah, like, I guess some people just use it as a way of getting into the business because horror very rarely doesn't make money. So I guess being a horror fan myself, I would love to make horror films my whole life. Yeah, that sounds great. Anyway, Marshall was inspired (laughs) to write the script after watching American horror films such as The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Thing, and Deliverance. He has also stated that he was inspired by Italian horror films, particularly the ones directed by Dario Argento and Lucio Fulci. Originally, the characters would just be like lost in a cave and the script didn't feature like the monstrous crawlers but Marshall added them later on to help heighten the fear factor of the film and were depicted as like cavemen who never left the caves and evolved in the dark Marshall included like mothers and children in the colony of creatures defining his vision In a quote from an interview with Nick Morrison from the Northern Echo Marshall states quote It is a colony, and I thought that was far more believable than making them, like, classic monsters. If they had been all male, it would have made no sense. So I wanted to create a more realistic context for them. I wanted to have this very feral, very primal species living underground, but I wanted to make them human. I didn't want to make them aliens because humans are the scariest things, unquote. True. (laughs) Yeah, so initially, the descent was supposed to have a mixed gender cast— but a close friend and business partner told Marshall that horror movies rarely have all-female casts and that he should change some of his male characters to female characters. To make sure he didn't make his female characters cliched in any way, Marshall asked multiple female friends to read his script and help him change anything. The only problem... Apparently, according to Donald Clark, Marshall wanted to make sure all of the women had different accents so that the audience could tell them apart. What? (laughs) Which is quite frustrating and kind of sexist, if you ask me. Yeah? (laughs) Yeah. So Marshall also confirmed that he wanted to establish a more cosmopolitan feel to the film with all of the accents, but. I just don't buy it. Like, we'll talk more about this later in the episode. Marshall also felt that by having an all-female cast, the sense of danger would be heightened. Again, we'll talk more about this in a minute. (laughs) So the film is set in the Appalachian Mountains of North Carolina, but filming actually took place in Scotland for the outdoor scenes and at Pinewood Studios near London for the cave scenes. According to Donald Clark, set pieces were reused with care and filmmakers sought to limit lighting to the sources the characters bring with them into the cave, such as helmet lights. According to the Wikipedia page dedicated to the descent, Quote, The Descent was released in North America with approximately one minute cut from the end. In the American cut, Sarah escapes from the cave and sees Juno, but the film does not cut back to the cave. In the 2016 August 4th issue of Entertainment Weekly, they reported that the ending was trimmed because American viewers did not like its uber-hopeless finale. Yeah, we're a bunch of big babies, I guess, over here. Apparently. Apparently. Lionsgate marketing chief Tim Palin said, quote, it's a visceral ride, and by the time you get to the ending, you're drained. Director Neil Marshall had a number of endings in mind when he shot the film, so he was open to making the switch. Marshall compared the change to the ending of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, saying, quote, just because she gets away, does that make it a happy ending? The ending is featured on the DVD as an unrated cut in the United States, unquote. The Descent premiered at the Edinburgh Horror Film Festival Dead by Dawn on July 6, 2005 and opened commercially to the public in the UK just a few days later, earning only £2.6 million on a £3.5 million budget. Wow. Yeah, it's been cited that the London bombings that same month affected the box office performance of the Descent* in the UK. So about a year later, on August 6, 2006, the dissent was released in the US with the shorter ending. And it grossed almost $9 million its opening weekend and eventually earned $26 million in the States for a foreign and domestic total of $57 million. Roger Ebert's editor, Jim Emerson, reviewed the film for Ebert's column while Ebert was on leave, and he gave it 4 out of 4 stars. And he wrote, This is the fresh, exciting summer movie I've been waiting for months, or for years it seems, unquote. In 2010, five years after the film's release, Bloody Disgusting ranked the film third in their list of the top 20 horror films of the decade. With the article saying, quote, one of the scariest films of this or any decade. Ultimately, The Descent is the purest kind of horror film. Ruthless, unforgiving, showing no mercy, unquote. And finally, a critic who goes only by the name of Lois for geekquality.com says of the film, quote, The best part of The Descent is that it's not shy about allowing its women to be violent, brutal, and cruel, unquote. With that said, Abby, would you please remind us all of the plot? Sure.
1: After experiencing the sudden loss of her husband and child in a car crash, Sarah and her five closest friends, Juno, Beth, Sam, Holly, and Rebecca, go cave diving in North Carolina in an effort to reunite and connect with her a year later. Sarah and Juno lead the women through the cave system, but things get complicated when a narrow passage collapses after a harrowing attempt to crawl through it. And after a heated discussion, the women learn that Juno doesn't actually know the way through the cave system. She brought them there, hoping that they could discover a new system together, but that also means there is no hope for rescue as no one knows where they actually are. They become trapped and have to find their way out, but soon they realize they aren't alone. Sarah begins to hear and see pale beings in the caves, and after discovering mountains of animal bones, the women are attacked by creepy cave-dwelling creatures, and are separated soon after being encircled by several of the crawlers. Holly, who had fallen through a hole in the cave earlier in the film, is the first to die. Beth is accidentally stabbed to death by Juno, who is using her pickaxe to defend herself, and she flees, leaving Beth behind. Sarah had been knocked unconscious after falling through a hole in the cave, and when she comes to, she realizes that she's in an area filled with human and animal remains, and she watches in horror as the crawlers eat Holly's body in front of her. She manages to get away from them and finds the wounded Beth, who tells her that Juno left her there to die, and that Juno had been having an affair with her late husband. Beth begs Sarah to put an end to her misery, and Sarah obliges by smashing her head with a rock. Meanwhile, Juno has found Rebecca and Sam, but they are killed by crawlers as Juno flees and meets back up with Sarah. She lies to Sarah yet again about seeing Beth die. Sarah reveals that she knows about Juno leaving Beth to fend for herself and also about the affair with her husband. She stabs Juno in the leg with her pickaxe as they are surrounded by crawlers and runs off into the cave sprinting for a way out. She falls and is knocked unconscious again and wakes as a stream of light pours in on her, revealing a way out of the caves. She runs through the woods and back to her car after she emerges and speeds away, pulling over on the side of the road to have a mental breakdown, and she hallucinates Juno's corpse sitting next to her in the car. If you watch the US version, this is where the movie ends. However, like we mentioned before, the UK version reveals that Sarah is still dreaming and she wakes up back in the cave after her Juno hallucination, trapped and suffering from delusions of seeing her daughter. This leads us to believe that she never makes an escape and all of the women die in the bowels of the caves.
0: Thank you so much, Abby, for that wonderful plot summary. You are welcome. You know, have you seen The Descent 2? Um, yes, but to be honest, I don't really remember that much of it. That is totally understandable. It's pretty forgettable. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I remember not being very impressed by it, unfortunately. I think it is based off of the U.S. ending where she makes it out. Yeah, yeah. From what I remember, because I think Sarah goes back to the cave or something stupid. I don't remember. Yeah, like I they just, make
1: her go back and look for the other women or
0: something, right? Because they think that she murdered them or something. something like that. I can't remember. I just remember being like, "This is so dumb." Hey, if you love, <laughs> if you loved the, the the Descent too, let us know and prove us wrong. So yeah. <laughs> Okay. So the Bechtel test. Hell yes, it passes. How could it not? Like there is a central conflict between Juno and Sarah with Paul, but it's not the only conflict in the film. Like plus all of these women have names and lives outside of Sarah's husband. It's great. Nancy's dream team test. Was the supporting cast at least 50% women? Yes, 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 yes. Did a woman write, direct, or produce the film? No, 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 no. <laughs> Was the final girl or main character a person of color? Okay, so Sarah, I I think, is considered the final girl, but I would argue that Juno plays a significant role as the antagonist in the film, and actress Natalie Mendoza is of Spanish, Chinese, and Filipino descent. So yeah. Were there any openly LGBT plus characters in the film? No, but some characters film critics uh, argue that there is some lesbian subtext in the film and I don't necessarily agree with that. There are also some major problems surrounding this concept of lesbian subtext like I've heard people say like oh like what is the descent in like a in less than a few words you know like a sentence or whatever and it's always like lesbians caving and it's like, mm, what? Yes. Just because they're all women doesn't that mean they're lesbians. And I think that that's a pretty uh, damaging stereotype. So.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. So. Let us know what you guys think. I think a lot of people have have said that Holly might be a lesbian, but the only thing that they have is based off of her, her short haircut, which is also like a damaging stereotype for lesbians. So let me know what you guys think. All right, let's get into our discussion. Let's start with the positive representation of women in the descent, because this is considered like the Bechdel test dream of horror films and I can see why. So let's start with Hannah Bonner. She gives this film a rave review and praises it for being a hardcore feminist horror film. She says in her article from Den of Geek entitled The Descent Redefined Women in Horror Movies, quote, in a genre often populated with overtly sexual female protagonists who are either killed off first but not before they are we are privy to a little tits and ass or maternal figures. Think The Ring, Mama, The Exorcist, and most recently The Babadook. The women we see in horror films are often polarized opposites. They are either the virgin mother or the whore. Yet Marshall's cult classic rejects these pop culture stereotypes and imbues its heroines with biceps, bravery, and a finely tuned bullshit detector unquote. Bonner goes on to say, quote, hysteria, commonly associated with women, festers among the group. Yet, unlike many horror films where the female victims are passive, weak, or relying on the ingenuity of their male counterparts, there are no men for these women to turn to. They can only turn toward themselves. And while they are scared, rightly so, they get to show off their physical strength on screen as they desperately attempt to escape the oppressive darkness and demons that dominates the womb-like atmosphere enveloping them." And lastly, she says, quote, While Marshall's women do panic and make foolish choices as they disperse after the first attack by the flesh-eating troglofauna, screaming out for one another, their frenzy is trapped and overcome. Only as these women perform a daring and cringe worthy feat of scaling the cave ceiling, using merely their carabiners and their hands as a source of support— does one realize how rare this kind of physical prowess of women still is in today's films? Female audiences don't require Tom Hardy swooping in as our hero. Instead, we want to see reflections, variations, and gradations of ourselves, unquote.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like we talked about this a little bit in our episode on *Your Next, and that was a big selling point for me when it came to that film as well, because the lead female role required so much like physical strength and tenacity when it came to survival these characters are not wafy by any means and after it's revealed that they only have themselves to rely on like that no one is coming to rescue them they swing into action and I love that really like yeah they're upset but there's no time to waste on like being upset really because time is of the essence here so
0: (laughs) right I mean I think that it's realistic for anybody in that situation to be frightened to death but they step up and they're like we we can try to get out of here and even though ba- basically all of them don't make it it's not without trying so bitch media's alex Vasse wrote an article entitled "Bechtel test canon the Descent," where they wrote quote i think sarah's grief over her daughter is thoughtful without debilitating her Faculties. I also appreciate that the movie does not collapse gore, sexual violence, and exploitative representations of female sexuality in ways characteristic of contemporary releases like Eli Roth's 2007 feature Hustle Part 2, which also featured a female cast but aligned with regrettable torture porn subgenre. While I think we should question the authority of the ambiguous male writer-director to shape horror productions, I think Marshall does a good job representing his female characters. Unquote.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. I would agree with that.
0: I remember somebody on Twitter mentioning how it, they t- listened to our episode about Death Proof and how we talked about how, um, yes, there are a lot of women and strong women in this and there are uh, women of color in the film, which is also very important. Um it's also important for people of color and women to tell their own stories in films. And somebody on Twitter uh, kind of countered this and said, well, it's also important for people to go outside their comfort zones and try to explore, you know, things that they may not understand. And while I sort of agree with this, I think that it's also important for women to be able to tell their own stories because It's not common for women, especially people of color and women of color, to tell their own stories from their point of view. And yes, like this is all fiction, but there is an underlying importance to having somebody who is whether they are the they identify as the same gender or if they are the same like if they identify as the same race like it's important for them to be able to tell that story because not everyone's story is going to be the same exactly like that those stories are important and I don't think that it's fair to um talk over them okay I guess I'll get back on track um (laughs) so we mentioned Lois from geekquality.com earlier and I want to point out one more quote from her she says the decision to have only female characters opens more possibilities for the story and its direction really focusing on sarah and the dynamics of her friendship with the other women this probably wouldn't have worked as well had the descent been a mixed gender cast since hollywood is not capable of writing platonic relationships (laughs) if a man and a woman or even so much as within the fringes of the same group Everything must have romantic or sexual tension, history, or premonition, unquote. It's so true, though.
1: Yeah, it's 100% true. It definitely makes the audience shift their focus on what is truly horrifying. And for me, when it comes to this film, it's like it's the betrayal of trust among your peers and the ones who are supposed to have your back no matter what and the friends that you've known and trusted and cared for all of your life. And I think that it speaks volumes about the relationships that women have with one another because, like, this could have easily been a story about Sarah and her husband, like, trying to fight her way out of the caves while saddled with the grief of, like, maybe losing a child or dealing with his unfaithfulness, which really honestly would have been, like, a played out trope, in my opinion. Like, this is an examination of what it means to go through hell and back with your best friends, because even after Sarah has lost her family, family, her chosen family are the ones that, like, she dies with, ultimately. And it's not something to take lightly. And, you know, after all that loss, I really can't think of anything more terrifying or tragic than losing all your best friends in the way that she does. So I think that, like, for me anyway, I think that having a male character more involved in this story would have just been a distraction from what you're really supposed to be afraid of, like, when it comes to this film. You know, it's also, like, a testament to the bonds between females, because even... As Juno admits that she was wrong and that she led the group astray, they're also wise enough to realize that each one of them has a strength that should be followed. And, you know, we may not always agree with the choices that our friends make, and it may be hard to find forgiveness, but we also know that there is strength in numbers. And in order for us to survive as women, we need to coexist in a way that's like, conducive to our survival and that means putting our egos and anger aside in order to push our limits together. That's kind of like my takeaway from the relationships between these women in this film.
0: I absolutely agree with you. I think that you hit the nail on the head there when you said, um, put our egos and anger aside. We need to all just stand up for each other. I think in some way, I don't I don't think we shouldn't critique each other, but I think that we should still have that support. Critiquing doesn't mean putting somebody down. If anything, it helps somebody become a better person. So
1: oh no, yeah. and I think that it's it's super valid too that like these women, Show their anger at Juno, like what the hell? Like this, yeah, don't put th- and this they, shite on me. <laughs> yeah, and they they call her on the carpet for th- her wrongdoings, and like I think that's what we should be doing as women. Like we should kind of be keeping each other in check,
0: but moving forward at the same time, moving forward together. Exactly. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's look at some negative representation of women in the descent. <laughs> So in defense of lady terrorizing horror movies by Anna North, she writes, quote, Ah, The Descent. This chicks in a cave flick is one of my favorite films of all time. It's also pretty misogynist. I wasn't fully aware of this until a couple of years ago when I rewatched it with a dude. These women die in order of masculinity, he pointed out. The ones who act the most like men die first. Also, their bodies are horrifically mauled unquote. So yeah, that's a whole lot of yikes right there. So let's also look at Feminist Halloween Day Part 14, The Descent, which is by a writer only known as L.M. And they discuss their feelings towards the character development or lack thereof in the film. L.M. says, quote, I don't ascribe to Marshall's suggestion that the chief advantage of the all-female cast is more naked emotion in a terrifying situation. The women of the descent actually approach their situation with what is, at least to my American eyes, quite the stiff upper lip. The characters are great, but the cave setting is a bit vaginal, and I'm not sure if it's supposed to be read as cis women's bodies as a site of horror or as a site of power." We discussed some of this in our episode on Carrie about how, like, menstrual distress and biological born and biologically born females can be a source of horror. Um, I'm honestly not sure how much or if any of it is intentional on Marshall's part. I th- I think he just sort of I don't know. I don't feel like it was intentional, but
1: yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Because that sounds like it's reaching a little bit.
0: Well, compared to what we've read, he's he's changed the script. It was supposed to be men. Then it was supposed to be a mixed gender. Then it was supposed to be just women. So I, then the crawlers were never involved. So I feel like it's by accident. But that doesn't mean it, it's not there. I think a lot of... We're going to talk about more about the vaginal cave in a minute. But I think that it's... um. It is something that is in, like, art history, at least. Like, you can talk about the vaginal cave. So I it is a part of our, of our myth and our culture. So, but if it was intentional, probably not. Uh, and then writer Stephanie Rogers points out, quote, Who needs to bother with characterization when you have accents? Unquote. Yeah. <laughs> Which we mentioned earlier.
1: I don't know. For me, like some of the negative aspects of this film, I I would have liked to see it like without the whole affair. I think that it was sort of an us unnecessary plot point in a way like i i think that juno and sarah could have competed for something other than a man like maybe some sort of prestigious like spelunking award or like <laughs> yeah i i feel like the affair was kind of tropey and the betrayal of juno not telling the women where they actually were going could have been enough i'm just tired of seeing women compete for men and it made me think of that quote by um chamamanda ngozi adichie where she says, like, we raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of men. And I'm not saying that, like, this doesn't happen in real life or that it's, like, unrealistic, I guess, but, like, it falls flat. And it just makes the plot seem kind of, like,
0: bleh. Like... Yes, you are right. And I actually found this quote from Marshall um, right before we were supposed to record. I was reading uh, my Ruge Morgue magazine, Women with Guts, and they actually quote him from another interview from 2009. And he says about having there be all women... What really appealed to me is that it's a film with an all-female ensemble, but the story and the plot and everything has nothing to do with the fact that they're women. It would have been exactly the same story had I replaced them with all men. I don't really agree with that. I can think of a
1: million different ways that film would have gone if they had put an affair in there between, like, a a group of men. It would have been completely toxic, actually, in my opinion. (laughs) And here's another thing, too. Like, Sarah technically doesn't kill Juno. She just wounds her. And this is all speculation, but I feel like if it had been men, somebody would have died
0: at the hands of one of the men in the group. Yes. Like, Jun- Juno does accidentally kill Beth, but it's an accident. Right, right, right. I'm no, wondering, I'm like... yes, I'm wondering intentionally, yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. It just, like, kind of
0: ruins everything. <laughs> Everything is ruined and nothing matters. (laughs) (laughs) So let's look at The Crawlers and The Vaginal Cave. According to John Lissy in his essay, The Descent, The Last Great Horror Film... Since the descent takes place within the confines of a cave, the camera work is often closed in on the characters to make the audience feel as claustrophobic as the characters do. As an audience, we are never a step ahead of the characters, and this creates an enormous amount of tension as we, like the characters, are uncertain about what lurks beyond the frame the way cinematic space is utilized in The Descent surely makes us feel as uncomfortable as the characters, unquote. Yeah, indeed, the characters in this film are literally and symbolically crushed by the weight of the cave as well. And they're trapped by their pasts and their guilt at least Sarah and Juno are, while their friends are made to suffer because of it. I think it's also interesting that all of these women are extreme daredevils in some way. They go from whitewater rafting to caving or spelunking, I guess. And I'm sure they've done other crazy sports as well. And this like suggests to me, at least, that these women have pretty cushy lives. Yeah. Like they might be adrenaline junkies, I guess, but they simply seem to feel the need to test their boundaries. And for Sarah, her boundaries have already been crossed. Like the only way forward is back. So Sarah goes back to the womb. Like this descent into the cave is her starting over and her emergence from the pool of blood is her rebirth. And The other women don't make it because maybe because like metaphorically they haven't experienced a horror like Sarah has extreme loss and grief and guilt and it would make sense that Juno would be one of the last to survive since she also suffered a loss and the descent into the cave is also a descent into the past. Like, not only are they going backwards in term in terms of returning to the womb, but the women are trying to relive their friendship by going back to the way things were before the crash, before Juno slept with Paul. Like, there's also a historical descent into the past. They see cave paintings as well as the crawlers. Like, they represent a time when humans were prey. And... This is all stuff that I got from James Marriott's uh, small book about the descent, and it's quite good. I'll link it in the show notes.
1: Seriously does make so much sense, though. And, like,
0: you're descending back into
1: the Earth, which is, like, where humans came from. And, like, if you obviously, like, read up on the evolution of humans and stuff, we all came from the cave, and, like, that's our origin point, so... It could also be kind of, like, a representation of the shadow self that we always talk about. And, like, we don't know who we really are until we dive deep into those, like, unexplored parts and emerge as better people because of it. And I guess in this circumstance, like, the only one who survives is Sarah. Because, like you mentioned earlier, she's really the only one who has, that we know that has gone through, like, extreme grief and loss. And the other person who is, like, the runner-up to die is Juno because, technically, she's grieving her lover. So they're kind of, like, they're not on par with each other. But if we had to pick, like, the two people most in touch with their shadow self, it would be Sarah and Juno. Unfortunately for Juno, like, she's doing it alone because the affair was a secret. Whereas, like, Sarah is more, like, out in the open with it. That is so true. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. And, like, it makes sense that the two last women standing from the group are the ones who have retreated deeply within themselves. And the cave is just a reflection of that. It's like the physical manifestation of it. And, you know, like, Sarah could be the good shadow self, the one that goes into the darkness and faces it head on, while Juno is, like, the more negative part of the shadow self and the one that is actually consumed by her darkness. And I think that both women are in touch with it, but Sarah ends up having a better handle on it,
0: ultimately. Yes, and by wounding Juno, it's almost like she's wounding the negative side of the shadow self so she can get away from it.
1: Yeah, kind of. She's like getting the F away from all of her toxic relationships, I guess.
0: So Stephanie Rogers says the monsters depicted as the products of evolution motivated only by a primal drive for survival are the perfect elaboration of this cave as womb horror metaphor. And as a cherry on top, they ripped the guts out of these women. So she says that and I believe Neil Marshall also stated that w- at one point, that he could totally see how the cave could be seen as womb, especially since the crawlers are like little white sperm. That's true. (laughs) Yeah, so there's a lot of womb imagery here. But going back to this relationship of Juno and Sarah, the crawlers could also be seen as a manifestation of their conflict. This evil or darkness that is deep within the caverns of their souls, like you mentioned earlier, the crawlers are the tragedy, the grief, and the guilt that attacks them both. Not only does it destroy them in some way, but also their friends. Because Sarah and Juno have both yet to Like they haven't come to terms with their demons and they're unable to enjoy this friend time adventures that they used to have. At the start, we see that Juno becomes cocky and selfish while Sarah is fearful and the friendship between all the women suffers. And once the crawlers manifest and start killing everyone, Juno and Sarah are the last to survive and they might have been able to find their way out of the cave if they had forgiven each other and faced their demons. But neither one of them does. Yeah. Instead, Sarah injures Juno and leaves her to die in the cave to the crawlers. Sarah seemingly escapes the cave, but once she's out, she sees Juno's ghost. So the guilt has once again manifested and has come and has become the image of Juno. And Sarah wakes up to find that she, in fact, did not escape and instead never made it out of the cave. And she probably never will cough, cough, descent to, but we're not <laughs> going to talk about that. If it's not canon, we can just say like she she probably will never make it out because she's still haunted by Juno because what she's done to Juno and then, of course, her dead family. And uh, really, in the end, Sarah isn't the good shadow self because she was unable to overcome her own darkness by killing or by injuring Juno, she's she actually maybe at that point accepts and is consumed by the negative side of the shadow self. And as Madeline Albright said, quote, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. Unquote. (laughs) Yep. So that's Sarah. She's in hell. And... (laughs) she is she well has... shoot well shoot i guess she's just gonna she's just gonna die there <laughs> you know and and maybe the crawlers just don't work at all like metaphorically diegetically like they just don't work um alex visay doesn't think so they say quote i'm not entirely sold on the presence of the crawlers i'm not sure whether they are meant to stand in for the cruel erasure of native american populations or the injustices waged upon the abolition communities as they are clumsily incorporated into the larger narrative furthermore i'm not convinced they need to be there unquote Listeners, let us know. Do you think the crawlers matter? Do you think they don't matter? What do you think they mean, if they mean anything at all? Let us know. Okay, so let's talk about the meaning behind Jessica's birthday. Um, So I watched this great analysis of the film by Cristobal Olguin, I think is how you say the name. Um, This person's on YouTube, and they brought up the significance of the fatal crash happening on Sarah's daughter, Jessica's birthday. And this was something that I didn't even consider until I watched the analysis. So the crash takes place on Jessica's birthday. This explains the visions of Jessica with her birthday cake that Sarah has throughout the film. And this was an event that wasn't able to take place that day. Dying naturally on your birthday, I guess, is somewhat poetic. Like William Shakespeare is probably the most known person to have done so, but It's also really traumatic and grim. For Sarah, her child's birthday was a day, was a happy day, not just for her, but also for her husband, a day when the family grew. And this day is now a day of sorrow. Once a happy day now has grim memories for Sarah And at first, Jessica's cake has only five candles, and she blows them out in Sarah's vision. This detail might seem trivial, because maybe Jessica was turning five, but at the very end in Sarah's final vision, the cake has six candles. And this could represent the six women, including Sarah, who enter the cave. The first five women have had all of their candles of life blown out, I guess, so to speak. They are all dead and only Sarah remains by herself in the cave with only her visions to keep her happy and warm. Wow. Yeah, that was something I didn't notice, that the candle number changes in her vision. Yeah, that's wild. Yes, so Paul gets distracted by the thought of Juno, which leads to the crash on Jessica's birthday. And Sarah is then made to suffer from survivor's guilt, even though it was her stupid-ass husband who crashed the car. However, the freakish and violent nature of the accident is what affects Sarah. It affects her throughout the story. She has visions of being impaled, like her daughter and Paul. And we learn that Sarah is sort of used to, like, violent adventures, but, like, she's always been safe, I guess and she's never had to worry about being in danger realistically or it doesn't seem like she's going to realistically be in danger and this is probably the first time that something violent has happened to her and there have been consequences by showing like an affair has might might have been taking place like when Juno and Paul are together and he like takes her helmet off for some reason cuz i guess they're just not trying to hide it anymore um <laughs> like, this kind of, like, builds up to what the real horror is gonna be, and it's gonna be more of a drama, I guess, and very much, like, hereditary, where the horror is not so much the cave-dwelling creatures, it's this drama happening between her and Juno and the rest of the friends.
1: Yes, yep.
0: Yeah, and it's this descent, rather, this descent into the darkness within themselves rather than the caves, and Going back to the candles, the crash, as we know, isn't Sarah's fault, but PTSD and survivor's guilt doesn't care. Here's Sarah able to celebrate another birthday while her daughter will never have another birthday again. And the five women who pass away too, they will never celebrate another day in their lives again either. And once again, at the end, Sarah remains and Sarah must suffer more from not just the guilt, survivor's guilt of her husband and daughter, but survivor's guilt from her friends.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think another big part of that guilt, going back to, like, her daughter and her daughter's birthday, you know, Sarah was out on her daughter's birthday doing what she loved with, like, her chosen family. Like, even though it was her daughter's birthday, she was spending the day with Beth and Juno. And, like, it's that kind of thing where, like, who knows if the crash would have happened if her husband didn't have to pick her up from the drop-off point that day. And, like, I think Sarah really rehashes those feelings the, the following year when she's down in the caves and that whole concept of, like, what if it had been different or what if I hadn't done this thing on this day? like, it pops up a lot in this film because the smallest choices have the biggest impact, especially when you're an adrenaline junkie like that. And I think it's one of the most tragic aspects of thrill-seeking. You can go your whole life taking risks like that, and then your family is killed in a freak accident. Like, it's very, very ironic. I guess to elaborate a little bit more on that, like, Sarah is the one who is constantly seeking thrills and, like, going on these adventures, and her family is supposed to be, like, her safe zone, yet
0: they're the ones that end up dying. Okay, so let's uh, get into our final thought. Uh, This is sort of, like, a mixture of things we have here, like, some things that I felt, like, didn't really fit into the rest of the script, We're gonna talk about motherhood and name meanings and female friendship. So again, uh, I got some of this from Cristobal Olgyun's video. So again, check it out, it's in the show notes. Uh, But Juno, let's talk about her first. After the accident, Juno attempts to do good out of forgiveness or maybe to help her forgive herself, but her ego gets in the way. She is a selfish character. Every act of selfishness leads to another character's death Or downfall, because Sarah isn't immune. When Juno screams for the other girls in the dark cave, they leave her there. They stay quiet and hope that the crawlers will be attracted to her voice, killing her and not them. And Juno's name is something to behold When in relation to her being a very powerful, egotistical, selfish person, uh, the goddess Juno was both worshipped and feared since she was very fierce and strong. And it's interesting that the one who kills Beth is Juno and she accidentally kills her instead of a crawler. Juno is actually supposed to be a protector of women, like the goddess, and yet Juno the human fails to be the protector and leads all of the women into danger. She's supposed to be a protector of marriage as well, yet the human Juno becomes an adulteress. Oh, dear. Now, one would argue that Sarah is the one who mercy kills Beth, but I think it's safe to say that Beth was a goner after Juno stabbed her in the throat. So oh, yeah. Juno is not living up to her name as a protector of women and a protector of marriage. She's just human. She's human. And she's flawed. She's extremely flawed. And I think that that is probably one of the most important things about this film is that Like I mentioned at the beginning, none of these women are without cruelty in some way. Well, it's like the most realistic thing,
1: and I think the best representation, maybe not the best representation, but one of, like I said, the most realistic representation- of women that you can give, especially, like, in a film like this, because how stupid would it be if, <laughs> like, by the end of the film, like, Sarah and Juno were like, yeah, we're we're in this together, and let's just forget all the stuff that happened in the past, like, I don't really think that would happen,
0: <laughs> so... Yeah, Paul was definitely at fault. He shouldn't have done that, especially since he's the one, like, it's his family. But, like, freaking Juno's Sarah's best friend. She knows that that's the family. Like, she should have known better, too. Like, they both, they're both at fault. So, let's talk about mothers. (laughs) Yeah. So, out of all the women in the group, Beth seems to fit, like, the mother archetype. She seems to have no ego, and she is constantly trying to make sure everyone is safe and happy. When Sarah discovers her family is dead, she runs into Beth's arms at the hospital as the others, particularly Juno, look on. And Beth's name is also really interesting. Her name could be Bethany, but I have a feeling it's Elizabeth. Her name can be connected to Elizabeth I, the Virgin Queen of England, who did not have any children herself, but instead was a mother to her queendom. Oh. Yes, and Beth is an elementary school teacher. Again, not a mother biologically, but still a mother to many young ones, plus her friends. And Sarah begins the story as a mother and a wife, but the role has been ripped literally out of her hands due to the accident. This, like, is a question I guess you could ask. Is someone who has lost their child still a mother? And it's interesting that Sarah's name means princess in Hebrew, because princesses in fairy tales are usually virginal and unmarried and they, you know so they have no children. They're usually the ones in the high castle waiting to be rescued by a prince. And Sarah seems like she will be that character, but like most all horror movies, Sarah becomes the final girl trope. She subverts the killer's expectations and turns out to be the strongest one of the group. Sarah is also the one who mercy kills Beth, the other mother of the group. And going back to whether or not Sarah is still a mother or not, in a way, this could be seen as Sarah mercy killing her identity of motherhood, an identity that she no longer needs to burden herself with, especially since her only child is absent.
1: Ooh. It's almost like she's there to restore the balance, in a way. The balance in herself. Yes. But also, like, she is, like, a form of justice in a way. Like, like it was obviously a terrible, terrible accident that Beth is killed at the hands of Juno, but Sarah is also there to, like, take her suffering away. And then Sarah ends up taking her own suffering away by wounding Juno and, like, leaving her there to die. It's a very interesting circle that, like, I feel like we could talk about for hours and hours but
0: man again like there's this great subtext within their names and within the roles that they play like these three women who start the movie like Holly and Becca and Sam are not at the beginning of the film it's Juno Beth and Sarah. Yeah, I think that that that's an important trifecta that starts the film, and it it doesn't technically end the film, but the death of Beth and the injury of Juno and the rise of Sarah are major, major character plots in the film. All right. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Good Morning, Nancy. Don't forget to check out our merch shop. We've got coffee mugs and sweatshirts and T-shirts and more. Head on over to www.goodmorningnancy.com merch and click the shirt icon and that'll take you right to our shop. And if you're not already a patron, go to patreon.com goodmorningnancy for some sweet extra content in your coffee. We give out little gifts and we review horror trailers, TV shows, and new movies over there sometimes too. So become a patron, won't you?
1: Yeah, and you can also help support the show by following us on social media. Facebook at Good Morning Nancy, Twitter at Good goodmorningnan, and Instagram at Good Morning Nancy Podcast. You can also help us out by telling a friend and spreading the word about our show. We love you all to death.
0: Have a good morning. Bye.